Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 109 of the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis. Today, we're going to be talking about spondylolisthesis and some of the signs and symptoms and how to treat it. Uh, you know, Spondylolisthesis can be very difficult to identify clinically, especially when you don't have any diagnostic imaging um, that you can use right away. And this can also be quite disabling for for patients. So today we'll talk about some of the signs and symptoms, some of the causes. Um, We'll we'll describe what it is, um, talk about appropriate imaging for spondylolisthesis, and then we'll have a little discussion at the end about conservative versus surgical treatment. But before we jump into that, I'd like to just take Take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. A good night's sleep is what every body needs. Fresh rest bedding will keep you comfortable all night. Our advanced textiles and weave wicks moisture and also regulates body temperature. This design, coupled with our all-natural organic antimicrobial, eliminates 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria, as well as dust mites, which are an allergen to many. Because our bedding stays fresh longer, it is eco-friendly, as it only requires washing once a month on average. This bedding is also known for its incredible softness. Our antimicrobial is all-natural and organic. No metals, waxes, chemicals, or Our sheets will never leach onto or into your skin ever. These sheets are safe for your entire family. Fresh Rest is designed and engineered by Maine Lee Technology Group, based in Wells, Maine, and our sheets are made for the USA. Fresh Rest Bedding is only available for purchase through our e-commerce website by visiting freshrestbedding.com. Once again, that's freshrestbedding.com. Hello and welcome back. Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that, you know, these podcasts are are made to help you think outside of the box a little bit, all right? And just to bring some familiarity about different diagnoses and how to manage them. Um, we're not going to get into super technical information. What I'm finding is as I speak to more and more folks... Um, who just don't have a lot of confidence in orthopedics, uh, they become frustrated because it can sometimes be overwhelming. And so what we want to do is talk about some of the general things that that will bring something to your attention and help you give some direction to a patient. And then, you know, on your own, you can really get out there and break this down a little bit more and get really specific. And some of our podcasts do get really specific. This one here, I want to just give you some general idea on what you may see in somebody who has spondylolisthesis and how to manage it. But before we get started with the spondylolisthesis part, let's talk about some terms that we've heard of in the past that often people ask, you know, oh, well, what's the difference? Okay, so oftentimes we hear of like lumbar spondylosis. Basically, spondylosis is a general degeneration of the vertebral column, okay? So you can, which can lead to facet issues like early arthritis, nerve root compression. You'll see people with degenerative disc disease um, in spondylosis. You'll see people with central cord stenosis. These folks generally have a loss of range of motion of the spine, and some of them will end up developing some radiculopathy as a result of spondylosis. Uh, But you'll see a lot of ridging along the uh, vertebral bodies and around the facet joints, and these can be quite problematic. 
Now, the next one we hear uh, about is spondylolysis, all right? And this is where there is a small defect or a fracture of the pars interarticularis, okay? And that's the little bridge that connects between the facet and the vertebral body uh, of the spine. And, and this area can often fracture because it's quite thin, and it has poor circulation there. So activities that require a lot of hyperextension of the spine, repetitive hyperextension, you'll see this in um, gymnasts. Um, this is, you know, more common in younger people, like five to seven year olds who end up with uh, some sort of a hyperextension injury to the back or do a lot of repetitive extension type activities. Commonly, this will give you like an aching sensation in the low back. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who have this issue and really don't have a lot of discomfort. The other little tidbit of information that may be helpful is that always check a patient's hamstring flexibility. And sometimes these folks will have a significant amount of hamstring tightness um, associated with uh, spondylolysis. So, um, you know, make sure that you check that on your patient when you, uh, when you see them. So let's talk a little bit about spondylolisthesis now, okay? So that's just kind of an advancement from the spondylolysis where this little fracture of the pars interarticularis um, now lets go and you have a slippage of the vertebrae, um, one vertebrae over the other. And this is the most common between L3, 4, and L5. Um, you'll see this less in the cervical spine, much more in the lumbar spine. This can cause you some, some aching in the legs, Oftentimes, these will be more bilateral, okay, unlike a herniated disc, which is usually unilateral. People will have difficulty walking. They'll end up with some neurogenic claudication, and what I'll do is I'll put a link in the uh, show notes, and you can click on that and see a video of a patient that I have um, with neurogenic claudication so you can see what that's like. And actually, if you go to uh, next week's episode, that will be the topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about neurogenic and vascular claudication, so make sure that you catch episode 110 um, so that we can you can kind of piece these together. Um, this spondylolisthesis typically happens as people get get a little bit older. Um, there's a higher association with these with people with hip osteoarthritis. And, um, and we do know there's a high association between uh, lumbar spinal stenosis and hip osteoarthritis because when the hip joint becomes tight, the pelvis starts to go into an anterior pelvic tilt. And what that does is it puts your spine in, in a relative extension or hyperlordotic position, causing more stress and strain and slippage type of uh, force. And so that can cause, um, there can be an association between the two of them. Just make sure that your patient's back pain is not coming from the intraarticular aspect of the hip. And we have lots of information uh, in our YouTube videos and um, on our podcasts about identifying that. Um, your patient will probably have difficulty getting into extension of the lumbar spine. So I usually put people on their stomach and I ask them to get up onto their elbows and even push back a little bit so they extend that lumbar spine. People with uh, a listhesis will have difficulty um, extending. That'll be very painful. It's usually very localized in the low back, um, right at the area of slippage. And um, there are a few clinical special tests out there. They're, they're kind of difficult to do for most people. Um, we'll probably be having some uh, information, podcasts, and videos about how to perform those. But really, it comes down to, you know, pain with extension, localized pain, neurogenic claudication when they're walking. Um, you know, and, and 
when they have, for those of you who can can order special tests or diagnostic testing, um, I like to have patients standing when they have x-rays with a lateral view, okay? And then I like to have them flex and do another view and then extend and do another x-ray. And so you can see dynamically if there is frank instability, okay? Now, if that instability is there when they're standing but does not increase in distance um, when you have them flex or extend, then they may just have a, a stable spondylolisthesis. And oftentimes, those people do not need or require surgery. They can be treated conservatively in therapy. Um, and uh, so remember that, okay? I think that too many people have x-rays uh, laying on a table, especially when we're looking at dynamic um, spine uh, issues shoes. So make sure you, uh, you you try that or order that with your uh, patients that you're suspicious of spondylolisthesis. Um, you know, most people who have spondylolisthesis don't require surgery, but I think it's important that when you identify it, that there is some sort of consult with a neurosurgeon and or, um, you know, a phone call and maybe that neurosurgeon can take a look at the images to see what the extent of the listhesis is. And oftentimes they can determine if they are, you know, surgically urgent um, or if they should go through a conservative course of, uh, of therapy first to help with this. Now, how do we treat this conservatively? Well, you want to really take a flexion-biased type of program, okay? Now, there are extension-biased programs for the uh, lumbar spine, but typically with people with listhesis, you want to avoid extension to avoid that extra slippage and stress on the pars uh, interarticularis. Um, so, you want to get them, you know, activating their deep transverse abdominus muscles. You want to get them starting to do some posterior pelvic tilting. And I don't do posterior pelvic tilting with a lot of people, but I do with my patients who have neurogenic claudication, lumbar spinal stenosis, and, and listhesis. Um, you know, developing a good core stabilization program, we know that the deep stabilizers of the spine kind of go on vacation once they've had an episode of back pain. Well, if you've had back pain chronically for a long time, those uh, muscles really shut down and, and develop some reflex inhibition. And so, um, you know, the, these people too, if, they're, if they have no cardiovascular uh, issues, uh, I may put them on a stationary bike and some of them I may even put on a recumbent bike because it puts them in relative flexion while they are doing cardiovascular conditioning. I'm huge on trying to increase cardiovascular activity um, with patients with lumbar spine uh, dysfunction. Uh, I'll even put them on an upper body bike, which also puts them in a somewhat flexed position. Um, you know, and then we start to, uh, you know, decrease the stressors or the, the, the tightnesses uh, and weaknesses that cause an anterior pelvic tilt. So we try to improve hip flexor mobility. We try to strengthen the abdominals, start to strengthen the glutes a little bit, which help to bring the pelvis into a posteriorly pelvic tilted position. So what we're doing is we're just really trying to get that spine a little more neutral and out of extension. Um, so I'd basically treat these patients the same way I would with a spinal stenosis uh, patient. And uh, with that being said, uh, we've got a webinar that will be, uh, we'll be uh, talking about spinal stenosis and uh, really the dynamics of that and get really more technical with it and talk about real specific treatment techniques. So that will be coming on our website uh, real soon here. Um, 
So if the patient fails physical therapy, they go through a course of PT, you know, you've done the strengthening, you've done the flexibility, they're still having this neurogenic claudication, they can't walk very far, they get relief when they sit. Um, it's important that they, they get to see a neurosurgeon. Uh, and sometimes interventional uh, pain uh, management uh, can be very helpful with injections, especially if they don't have an unstable listhesis. Because you remember what happens when the spine becomes un unstable, one vertebrae goes over the other. Your foramen, okay, your, um, your exiting foramen where your nerve roots come out will start to close up. You're, you have two semicircles on each other, and then when you push them together, the circle gets smaller, the opening gets smaller, but if you push them forward to backward, that will also cause a quote-unquote guillotining effect um, to the nerve root. So you could end up with some real serious nerve root uh, issues and even some central cord um, stenosis problems and uh, you know myelopathy. So you want to make sure that you get this checked out. It's, it can be pretty serious, but oftentimes it's not and can be managed conservatively. So uh, you know, make sure that you uh, connect with a neurosurgeon uh, who can take a look at this and at least give clearance uh, for this patient. So that is my talk on spondylolisthesis today, folks. Um, you know, uh, I have a I have a link to a video on uh, claudication. Make sure you check that out in the show notes. Also, make sure that if you have any questions you'd like me to um, ask on the show and answer on the show, uh, get me at uh, paul at orthoevalpal.com. Excuse me, be sure to check out our new website uh, where we have some online coaching, uh, 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 online coaching calendar and scheduling and uh, webinars. All kinds of other information there for you uh, to learn. And uh, be sure you check out our videos on YouTube and and like and subscribe to that channel. I'm placing videos on there every week, and that channel is is growing with awesome feedback and um, great conversations with folks there too. So, uh, again, make sure you check that all out. And I, uh, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all those of you who have sent uh, you know, wonderful comments about the show. And if there's anything you don't like this, about the show or you want me to change, uh, please feel free to get in touch with me. I'd be more than happy to uh, help you out. So have a great day. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.